and welcome back to the podcast. You are listening to the Catholics podcast. It's a Catholic podcast for millennials by millennials. I'm your host, Ms. Jacinta Florence, and each week I get to chat with some pretty amazing people who are doing some great work in the vineyard of the Lord. And um, I talk with people of different backgrounds and um, have different stories because as millennials, we have questions on our heart of what um, happiness is, what truth is. And I, it is my hope that through encountering these different conversations that um, that would draw you closer to the truth and what God is calling you to do. Um, and this week, I get to chat with Kevin Rorty from Denver, Colorado, um, who started the Souls of the Christian Apostolate. Um, I first met Kevin while I was attending the Augustine Institute and really just noticed how on fire he was for the Lord and for the mission that he's going to be chatting with us about today. So I'm super excited to have him on. So Kevin, how are you? Hi, Jacinta. I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. You know, there, there's one caveat I got to make to the intro. Uh, yeah. You know, for millennials, by millennials, I just found out. Oh gosh, you're not a I millennial. May, I may technically not be a millennial. I was well, born in 95, and uh-huh. people say that's right on the cusp of that's uh, true. generation. So well, I don't really buy lucky. that, but <laughs> I don't really want to be a millennial, so no offense. <laughs> hey, no, none taken. I'm I mean, trying to figure out which generation has the most issues, Gen Z or millennials. Exactly, yeah. And I think it might be the same, so... We're yeah, all on the same yeah. boat. We're all struggling. We're all on the struggle bus. Yeah, so, I'd rather be Generation Medieval. That sounds pretty great. It seems like you would belong in that generation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Especially considering what you're doing, which is pretty cool. Um, so, okay, so I've talked to you a little bit about your mission before, um, and I've seen your stuff on social media and like some of the podcasts that you and Ben are doing. Um, could you explain to our listeners, listeners what exactly Souls of the Christian Apostolate is? Yeah, so first, Ben, ben is my right-hand man. He's uh, the vice president of Souls of the Christian Apostolate, or SOCA, and our aim is to win interior apostles who go forth to win more interior apostles. There's a lot packaged into that, but the first place to start would be a discussion on the book, The Soul of the Apostolate, which was written by Dom Chotard, a Trappist monk. He was one of the heads of the Trappist religious order on the turn of the century from the 19th to the 20th century, very influential in the church. And this book was written originally for priests that Dom Chotard had seen in great need of an emphasis on an interior life so that their work didn't become sterile and mm-hmm. activist and ultimately lacking Christ in the soul. So that's what this, this book is all about. And that's what we try to embody with, with our work. That's awesome. Yeah. I know like for myself, like being in ministry as well, um, if I'm not praying, if I'm not doing daily mass, if I'm not doing daily holy hour, Um, or if I skip some of that, I think the burnout rate is high. And I do believe that I'm able to like be as active as I am because of the, the, um, prayer life that I've been able to cultivate that flows, um, that the action flows from, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, and if you look at really effective missionaries in the past, they had intense, intense prayer lives. St. Francis Xavier, arguably the second greatest evangelist since Mm -hmm. St. Paul himself, was known to stay up all night in prayer and then go out the entire day and work tirelessly for the salvation of souls. And so, yeah, you're right. It really feeds one the other because when you live an interior life, you realize how vital our Lord is in the soul to have the life of grace, to have God in your soul that we get through our baptism and and reaches its peak in the Eucharist. But to just speak with him, to be with him is critical in order to have a sense of the liveliness of our faith, which then you, you see the necessity of it. And when you look around and you see, frankly, so many souls walking in mortal sin and like kind of like zombies dead, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're walking dead in a way, you, your heart just, it can't help but yearn for their salvation. And that's, that's the burning fire that sets the apostle and the missionary's heart uh, to, to do the work tirelessly, like you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we'll get into a little bit more about like that fire and what you guys do as far as encountering those people. But I want to hear about like your background and how you actually ended up where you're at, um, as far as like starting this mission, because I just think it's so cool that you like, you're just going after it. And, um, it's definitely something unique. Um, and there's a need for it, which is good. Um, so you, you've, you've gone after it. And, um, I want to know like how you've got to where you're at today. Sure. So I was raised Catholic and I went to public school, kindergarten through 12th grade. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we went to mass on Sundays and I was taught, you know, my basic prayers. We'd pray before dinner, but I wasn't, really lit with a great sense of devotion. I never really grasped the faith on a deep level. And my sense of going to mass was more like a, not just a duty, but it was sort of painful. I always had this sense that it was somewhat childish or insignificant. It lacked a sense of seriousness. Uh, It smelled like diapers. (laughs) And, um, you know, I just had this ring in my ear of just sort of like Care Bear, um, like sing song kind of stuff for... Wow, we had different experiences of mass (laughs) growing up. (laughs) Yeah, well, that that was my experience. Sure. And 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 religious ed was, you know, all of us sort of looked at it as a, well, it's almost like another class and we just get to goof around and it's not very serious. And so I didn't, I, yeah, I, I mean, I, it just wasn't a very robust formation and I didn't have any sense of why it's important. Mm-hmm. That, that's really the bottom line. And so by the time I got into ninth and 10th grade, I had really fallen in the gutter and, and I was not living in a state of grace. I was living in mortal sin mm-hmm. and I uh, hit, hit a point where I realized I didn't have real good friends. And and I wanted to start seeking the truth. And that sent me on a trajectory um, of going on some retreats and, and just trying to clean out my life a bit. That's um, cool that you had that in the midst of um, 
in the midst was, of whatever you were caught up in that was distracting you from truth and goodness. But that's amazing. You had that, that desire. And, um, I guess it stems from a place of not being satisfied with sin. Well, yeah, I think it's, it was more a, a recognition of, um, of the, 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 rea- the seriousness of the faith. Like either I believe this or I don't either this is true and it's of infinite importance or it's not true and it doesn't matter at all. That's what I came to the point to. And so I had to make a decision. Do I believe or not? If I do, mm. then this logically doesn't make sense how I'm living. And mm. if, and if I don't, then I should just throw it all the way off. I can't teeter totter. Right. So I said, no, I, I do believe this. And so I realized I had to start making those decisions, but it was still more along the lines of this is what the truth is. I didn't have the sense of interior devotion. I was even zealous to like, I wrote papers in my school article about mm-hmm. like some, one about chastity, another about relative uh, against relativism. But it was when I was a senior where I really had what I call my true interior conversion. When I met a priest in Fort Collins, Colorado, who showed me the ropes of the interior life of sacrifice, true devotion, truly discerning my vocation. He, he showed me the Latin mass and true reverence and, and, and doctrine and the depths of our faith and the lives of the saints and so many things that I had started on a trajectory toward without knowing it, which wow. was, I want to live completely for this. This is the infinite truth and, and why, you know, I don't want it watered down. I just want the full thing. And finally, someone had the the gall to show me what that really was. And um, once I found it, I just latched onto it. I was like a sponge wow. and just soaked it all up. Um, and and that led to a lot of other things. But so that was that was the beginning. When I was a senior in high school, that priest showed me all these things and really led to a true interior conversion and set me on the path that I'm still on today. That's awesome. It is cool to hear how like your faith went from from knowledge, from head knowledge to like heart knowledge, to that interior encounter. And that's really what we need in order to, um, to be set on fire and to, to be set on fire for mission. So I can see um, how prevalent that was in your life um, and to where you got to be where you are today. Um, so high school happened and then did you go right to college or? Yeah. Um, yeah. What was that all like? So I went to college with the intention of discerning religious life. Mm-hmm. I was at Franciscan University and that wasn't a great fit. So oh. I went to Catholic University of America in DC, DC. Shout uh, out. studying philosophy. Nice. And my second semester there, I was given the opportunity to study abroad uh, in Rome. Mm-hmm. And so I took it went to Rome and um, I was a sophomore at the time. And when I was there, I was best semester of all of my education. And I, I just love Rome, love going back. And the gelato love place. Rome. Rome is yeah. amazing. <laughs> it's the motherland. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, and that, that was the first time I got to go to Latin Mass on a day-to-day basis in a beautiful church and see these priests with just deep devotion. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and see Catholic culture, you know, just seeing all the, the churches and all. And um, I, when I was about halfway through that semester, I visited a religious order in France, the Fraternity of St. Vincent Ferrer, mm-hmm. which is a Dominican-ish order. They, they're, Ish. they're basically Dominicans, but they don't have the OP at the end of their name. Mm-hmm. Um, they do the Dominican Rite of the Mass, which is very similar to the old Latin Mass, but it it's its own rite. You know, Carmelites have a rite. Um, mm-hmm. Other religious, the, the Carthusians have their own rite. Byzantine, Maronites. Yes. Mm-hmm. There's yep. So there's a, a Dominican rite. I think and there's like 21 or something like that. Yeah, 21 to 23, somewhere in there. I, I don't remember like the exact that, yeah. number. And so I visited. And it just seemed like it, it, it fit. If there was a place anywhere in the world that was going to be the right place, this was it. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the charism and all, it was like, well, um, you know, I want something that has this uh, sacred tradition as well as the Dominican lifestyle, the active contemplative life. Okay. And that was the only place I could find that fit that. So I dropped out of school halfway through my sophomore year and I moved to France and I lived with a family for six months when I was 19 and I learned French suffisamment sufficiently in order to... (laughs) I was about to say, please translate. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So then I, I learned it and they said, okay, you can enter now. So I entered the following fall while I was uh, 20, um, and I spent a year and a half discerning with the order. Uh, nine months in, you, you, the first nine months is postulancy, then a year of novitiate. So I was halfway through my novitiate when I left. Mm-hmm. The novitiate is essentially a trial period. You try on the community, they try you on, and uh, see if it's a fit. And I came to the conclusion that this was not where I was called ultimately, but I did, I would say it was the most formative and educational and both human and spiritual Mm -hmm. time of my life, Uh, you know, living with other brothers and seeing the French and all that. um, I mean, I, I couldn't even, I couldn't even write a book to, to cover all of the wisdom that was handed on to me, you know, living tradition. Um, but uh, some of the major takeaways were the mystical life, mm-hmm. the, the value of sacrifice and penance, the importance of holding fast to our traditions for the sake of souls, and the role of grace in everything that we do, uh, elevating everything that makes our life truly supernatural. Mm-hmm. That we don't just have a calling to be fulfilled as human beings, but to be divinized and enter into the divine life. And that was something I didn't really understand very well before I came there. I knew that mental prayer in the interior life was important, but I didn't really understand that it was because we are called to a divine life. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of emphasis on just be fulfilled today outside of the church, but even in the church, just sort of a be happy and um, and live your life and, and just be joyful on a human level. But there's, there's a much deeper joy that you find in the contemplative silence 
with God that's also dark. You know, there's, you have mm-hmm. to carry the cross to get there and continually carry it and persevere in that. But Ooh. there's, there's and light. It's Lent. You're saying that during Lent. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, we have to, we have to do penance. And um, so a lot of, a lot of those things that I, I learned on an experiential level that, that taught me a lot that led to the next phase of everything. I can't believe you learned French. Are you fluent? J'espère. A little bit? (laughs) Or yes? I I hope I I am. (laughs) Wow, that's amazing. Um, (laughs) It sounds like quite an experience, like, and that you had to jump through some hoops to get there as far as, like, having to learn a foreign language. So (laughs) that's amazing. Um, you have mentioned a couple times and I know that, uh, cause I, I, we've talked before, but you really like the Latin mass, um, yeah. a little bit, you know, only a tiny bit. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so I, this is why I love our Catholic faith, um, because there are people who we have like what, 21, 23 different rites. I know for myself, if I had it my way, I would probably attend Byzantine mass every week, but I don't think we have one out here in St. Louis. Um, and I do appreciate like the Maronite, right? Because I think it's beautiful how they um, use the language that Jesus spoke, um, Aramaic for the mass. Um, but can you tell me, and I'm really curious to know um, about the Latin mass. Cause you've mentioned it a few times about like yeah. your encounter with the Latin mass. What is it about this mass, um, that you think helps foster a greater cultivation of the interior life for your mission that you, um, are trying to spread to other people? Sure. Well, the whole mission is really just an overflowing of the interior life of contemplation St. Thomas, St. Thomas Aquinas has a famous phrase, it's paraphrasing him, but the phrase is contemplare et contemplata alis tradere. It means to contemplate and to hand on the things that have been contemplated, mm-hmm. contemplated things. And so it's an overflowing of the contemplation. So everything for all the mission is really, it's an overflowing of that interior life. That's our aim in Soka. And I believe the soul of the apostle, it really emphasizes. And so um, I think the, the first question with the Latin mass is, how mm-hmm. does that coincide with that interior life? Are they just two separate realities? Mm-hmm. And in the book, The Soul of the Apostle, it makes it very clear that they're not. Um, Dom Chotard was a Trappist monk. And he, and, and the Trappists, they chant the liturgy, which is the divine office, the different hours of where they chant different parts of the Psalms throughout the day, you know, they do that all the time. That's like the, the bulk of their prayer and they, they're continually going back and forth between manual labor and that. Mm-hmm. And there's not a separation between that and their interior life. The two flow, they're like two wings on a bird that you need both. Mm-hmm. And um, so the liturgy, which is the Latin mass is a part, is, is liturgical, mm-hmm. is something that feeds the interior life and the interior life feeds into because it's the prayer of the church but the church is made up of the mystical body and the mystical body we are unified by unified to through our interior life of grace that through our baptism we're given sanctifying grace so what i found in the latin mass when i first learned about it Mm -hmm. was 
something that on the one hand felt very distant and stale. And yet on the other hand, I knew that this was, there was deep truth that was embodied in this. Interesting. Um, and so, you know, I, you had mentioned the, the dichotomy of intellectual and heart knowledge. Uh-huh. And I would say that really, I, I actually, I'm not a big fan of that dichotomy because I, there's a lot of times where I have great clarity on this or that is true. Mm-hmm. And my, it doesn't resonate a lot in my heart in a certain way. In, yeah. in the sense that it it doesn't feel good, uh, like I have to detach, and yet I'm you know I'm convicted of this. I'm convicted on a deeper level in my spirit, um, and and so I think like that's what I you have greater there. knowledge of it. Yeah, a deeper knowledge, like you know it in an sure. intimate way. Yeah, that, and that uh, might just be my temperament. I'm a feeler, and so. So everybody's wired differently and God speaks to us differently. So I see why you wouldn't be a fan of that analogy or that, um, yeah, that expression. Um, well, if you're talking about, uh, Myers-Briggs, I'm an ENFP apparently, but. I'm ESFP. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, but, but what I saw there was, there's something deeply true in this Mm -hmm. and, um, that, that transcends myself and transcends, um, you know, everything else that I see that this is, this is basically 2000 years old, or at least 1500 years old since St. Gregory the Great. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I saw an, an exterior manifestation of the interior world that I had begun to discover through mental prayer. And what I mean by that is that I had been discovering that God is God and I am not in mental prayer, it's truly a humbling self-knowledge that is liberating because it in that humility we find peace because at the center of our soul it's not ourselves it's god mm-hmm. and so that's why it's through the cross that we find that liberation and we find that god is at the center of our soul and so in the mass it's all oriented to god the priest is not facing the people the priest is facing our lord and we mm-hmm. feel like we're being led to our lord and it's not it doesn't feel very emphasized on human beings Mm-hmm. on the horizontal relations among us. You know, there's no sign of peace where we're talking with each other, or shaking hands or anything. Um, it's, it's all focused toward that contemplation of God himself, that reverence and truly being with him. And that can lead to that deeper love um, that, that goes beyond human love to divine love. Because in order to do that, we have to have a certain detachment. And I was learning that through mental prayer and through penance and so then once I saw this, I was like, huh, this, if, if I did this mental prayer during mass, it would fit like a glove because uh-huh. this, there is a certain detachment that happens here. When you, I've realized when I go to Latin mass, either I'm really distracted and I'm just all over the place or I'm really uh, in deep prayer. Interesting. And, and that experience wasn't what I was used to. I was used to basically kind of being led um, as far as being stimulated on a more human interactive level, but not really going much deeper into this contemplation. So that, that was what really struck me and, and the element along those lines of sacrifice. That okay. there's a real sacrifice that's taking place because there's a lot, there's more silence and, there's, and if there's music, it's, it's, really, it's Gregorian chant or polyphony and it 
it's very elevating for the soul, but there's a certain gravity or gravitas to it that, mm -hmm. you know, just reading the prayers, they talk about, you know, that they're the effects of sin and that there's a hell and that we need God to save us. And it just, there was a certain realism about it that rang true, you know, and, and that impulse that led me to my conversion of realizing that God exists and I want to preach that everywhere was sort of, this was the, the climax of it because this is like the ultimate celebration, the ultimate worship, the ultimate sacrifice, recognizing the primacy of God. Um, and, and I, and I had never seen anything that, that was emblematic of that as much as I had found in, in the Latin mass. So that's, that's what led to my deep devotion to it. Okay. You said something really interesting. You said when you first experienced it, it seemed stale and distant. That yeah. God, okay. Now anybody listening to that would be like, why, why would you be attracted to that? Yeah. Um, and I'm not trying to pick on you, but um, yeah, that is so interesting to me that now you did mention the cultivation of deep mental prayer during this. So can you, is that, did this staleness and detachment, like, is that, did that the mental prayer like play off of that? Or like, I'm just trying to understand. Yeah. So, yeah. So um, I had started developing a life of mental prayer a bit before I started going to Latin mass. Mm -hmm. um, and I could talk about mental prayer in a bit, but it's basically interior prayer where we converse with our Lord, where we're with him, but it requires um, silence of the interior to be with him. So um, anyway, I, I had realized that it, yeah, I'd realized that it requires detachment in order to come to mental prayer without my affections and thoughts going in a thousand different places mm -hmm. it requires presence of God throughout the day and recollection so that when I come to prayer, it's not like jumping in, a bath of ice cold water, but rather it's something that, you know, I'm already wet. I've already been in and out of the water. So it's not like a huge transition. Right. So um, anyway, now coming to that, the mass, I would, I would say it's because of how it compares with what my experience had been for so long in mass, where it felt like I was being uh, my, having my hand held, you know, on a playground being told exactly how to do everything. Mm -hmm. um, and then all of a sudden the hand's gone. No one's there telling me how to do things. Gotcha. And it's not a playground, but I'm in the real world now. Um, and so all of a sudden it, it feels kind of daunting. You don't, you don't have, you're not being constantly led in every direction for your thoughts to go and to be kind of stimulated, you know? Um, and so that's why it felt stale and detached, you mm -hmm. know, distant in a way, because I was like, I wasn't used to that lack of stimulation in the mass. In fact, I even was like, did I even, I felt like I didn't even go to mass. Mm -hmm. um, but um, at the same time, I was like, there's something deeply true about this. Um, and so I, I continued going. And I think that's the best, that's the best advice I could give to people is just give it a shot by, you know, five Sundays in a row. That's the mass you go to. Five? Um, Five in a row. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. All right. Challenge well, accepted to our listeners. <laughs> uh, well, do it. Uh, that's uh, Father Ripperger recommends that. Hey, he I've met it. him before. He's really okay. cool. Yeah, he's he's uh he's far the man. wiser than I am. Yeah. Um, and so anyway, yeah, Father Father Ripperger calls it the traditionalist challenge. Basically, just go for five Sundays in a row and see, and and that's the only mass you go to for five weeks. 
and just try it out because what will happen is um, it, what, what basically we've developed these habits. I had developed these habits of thinking and what I was expecting and what I was accustomed to. And those expectations weren't being met anymore when I went to mass mm -hmm. because there was a deeper reality that was being expressed or at least manifested much more evidently um, that I, I wasn't used to how do I engage with this? If I try to engage in the old way, I fall into a ton of distractions and feel like I'm not a part of it at all, you know? And so Can I play devil's advocate a little bit though? Sure. <laughs> and it's only because I think you're, I think you can handle it. Um, yeah. Okay. So to engage, but what, how can you engage if you don't understand what they're saying the whole time? <laughs> well, can you engage when you're in silent prayer? I hope so. I try. So why not just do that when you're at mass? Mm. Okay. So I see what you're saying. Like not understanding the words. Okay. Cause here's my thing about the Latin mass and sure. um, my thing I think is beautiful and wonderful, but whenever I go, if everything's in Latin, I'm thinking to myself, I have no idea whose feast day it is. I have no idea what the gospel reading was and I just feel cut off more than anything. That, that's been my experience. And I've talked to people about this and had had several discussions. Um, and one of my friends suggested, well, why don't you just read the gospel beforehand? And I was like, touche, that's a good um, way to go about that. Um, so could you kind of, do you understand where I'm coming from as far as? Well, yeah, I mean, that, that's where I came from is because that's what we're used to. We're used to that all being the case. The okay. thing is, I mean, that was, I mean, for basically 19, I mean, 19 centuries, that that's just how Catholics were is that, you know, we didn't have, there wasn't a sense that we had to understand everything. That's when I was talking about the being, feeling like I was having my hand held and being told exactly how to do everything. Mm -hmm. That's what I mean as far as having everything, ex, you know, completely comprehensible in every minute detail. Um, you know, kind of almost like it's dumbed down for us. Sure. You know, rather than there's this big mysterious thing happening that, you know, we cannot just rationalize with our intellect. It's something mysterious. And so I would say the Latin, just like in the Byzantine mass uh -huh. with the, um, is it the iconostasis? Is that what they call it? Something like that. They have, um, I'm, that's not it. It's, it's something I don't else. think so. I don't know. They have something that, that puts a barrier. So you can't even see the sacred mysteries take place. Mm -hmm. um, and so Latin acts as sort of that safeguard of that tradition that there's something mysterious happening. Okay. And actually in the canon of the mass, which is what we, in the, in the new mass, what's called the Eucharistic prayer, the priest is supposed to be, is supposed to be whispering in the old mass. And the reason for that is because he's speaking directly. It's he's talking to God. He's not there for the people. That's why, you know, the, the, the purpose of the mass is to offer sacrifice to God, mm -hmm. to give infinite glory to him by representing the sacrifice of Christ on Calvary. And so that's why he doesn't actually have to have anyone there present technically to have a, an infinitely valuable mass. You know, he can ha offer mass on his own in private and it's of infinite value. Um, 
So that's the first aim, the first fruit of the Mass is the glory given to God because it's truly representing the sacrifice of Christ on Calvary. So where was I going with that? Well, I Uh, like everything you said, (laughs) just because I think you explained it really well. And it makes sense because you said before your mind was wondering because everything's being comprehensive for you. And I I can relate because I find my mind, well, in the past, before my conversion, um, now I try and, you know, pay attention, but it still happens. But I can find my mind wandering, but it's, it's because we're not forced to to listen or we're not forced. Uh, we're not exercising those muscles of like really trying to engage in a different way. So I understand now it all makes sense the way that you explain that. Um, because like, yeah, you could, it's easy to just like tune out and then you're like, Oh, this is my favorite reading. I'm going to listen to it now. Um, right. So no, I taught in the way you explain that. I totally get that. Um, I was talking to a friend today and I don't know if you know anything about this, but she told me um, that more and more millennials are attending the Latin mass. Is that something that you, that you've done research on or that you know about? Or if, if you don't know anything about that, do you have any insight as to why you think more and more young people want this, want the, um, the traditional mass? Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I will, I'll speak for the millennials, even though I'm not one. Yeah, I'll let um, you do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, no, definitely. Uh, I, it's definitely a pattern. Um, and there's a lot of um, polemical baggage that goes into this as far as a lot of people, it, it, it's, it's inflammatory. And, and so I think the first thing is to really, in order to talk about it, it's, it, it really requires a proper disposition of devotion to God and love for the truth um, and, and getting past, you know, personal feelings or um, what we are accustomed to, just like we were talking about, we're accustomed to these habits, but we have to be able to step outside of that and look for the deeper reality. What is the deepest reality here? So the, the reason why I think a lot of millennials and I, I verify that it's, I mean, comparatively speaking, we still have 80% of Catholics I think practicing Catholics don't believe in the real presence, something like that. Yeah. And in 89% are contracepting and stuff like that. So like, it's not to say like things are great by any means, but sure. um, there, there is a trend of millennials who are searching. That's, that's the reality. The whole millennial generation, I think a lot of them are searching because what happened was their parents didn't want to impose anything on them. That's the whole, I don't want to impose anything. I'm not going to tell them what to do or think or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know? And so they're left in uh, sort of this vacuum of meaninglessness. You look at the rates of depression and that's so evident. Mm -hmm. Some of them are falling into depression and suicide is just, it's just, it's just terrible today. Especially in Colorado. I don't know why. Well, yeah. And well, in Colorado, we have a lot of satanic occult worship and, Gotcha. Um, and that, that coincides with marijuana and other drugs that are gateways to the occult. But yeah, um, because I looked at this, like I, whenever I lived there, I heard that and I was like, I find that so surprising because it's so sunny all the time, but I guess there are other factors at play. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, and part of that could also, I think all of it, another huge factor is that we had Colorado sort of the recreation state. Ben, my right hand man, he, you know, he, 
he said, it's the recreation state. That's why people come to Colorado. We got the mountains, people go skiing, they burn through their debt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Remember, they, they're in debt and you're still going to go skiing and they're going to do all these things and, sure. um, and, and smoke marijuana and, um, and do it just, just have a good time, man. And no responsibility, <laughs> you know, like that's, that's the Colorado mindset and it leads to softness and mm-hmm. indifference. And, um, and that's, that leads to depression too. Definitely. I mean, absolutely. Um, so anyway, um, and it leads to lack of purpose, mm-hmm. um, lack of truly desiring to know the truth and it's just it's just a vicious cycle so anyway coming back to millennials like there are those who do continue searching for the truth in that void of meaninglessness they can they can if they come to admit it if they don't just cope with that meaninglessness of what by distracting themselves on social media and constantly watching youtube videos mm-hmm. and looking at porn and you know all these distracting themselves and filling themselves up uh-huh. with just worldliness if they confront reality at least admit a sense of meaninglessness in life that it all is just a distraction from the ultimate truth that i'm going to die and what is going to happen i'm contingent i am not the center of the universe uh-huh recognizing that if they come to that realization and then they say so what is the truth what is the reality because i'm not the ultimate guide for that then you look to the catholic church Mm-hmm. And if you truly say, I'm totally dependent on the Catholic Church, then you're going to look to the whole tradition. You're going to say that, well, if I really believe this was founded by Jesus Christ, if I believe God exists, and I believe that Jesus Christ was God, and that he founded the Holy Catholic Church, then anything that was doctrine or dogmatic, or what the saints said, you know, what the doctors of the church said, what was carried on through the tradition of the, of the faith through, you know, 2,000 years and counting, that's what I'm going to stick with. Um, I want to, I, I don't want to just look at, you know, what is the modern way of looking at things? Because I realized that trying to relate to the modern world actually is what led to my despair of really life. Mm-hmm. And now I've come full circle to realize that it's truly in God, not in myself or in, you know, in joy in this life, but it's in God and in the truth that I'm, I'm finding purpose and meaning. And so they do that. And the reasoning ends with, well, I, I want the real deal. I want something that's going to challenge me. Mm-hmm. Gonna, you know, and, and that's why a lot of people, especially men, turn to the Islam religion today because it challenges them. Gotcha. So um, with, with the Latin Mass, I think people come and like, look, this is, this is something that's truly mysterious. There's a sense of uh, gravitas and levitas. When I say gravitas, I mean it talks about health. I mean, that, how often do you hear that or that, you know, it's possible no one goes there or whatever. Like there's right. no sense of mission behind that. There's no sense of purpose. It's just sort of like, well, just be a good person and you're good to go. I mm-hmm. mean, you've got liberals who are all for abortion and everything who will say the exact same thing. Right. So, yeah. um, you know, there's that, there's the reality of sin, the reality that we need God. You know, when you hit that rock bottom, you were like, no, life is not just all sunshine and rainbows. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I need God. Um, and, but then you also realize the heights that we're not just called to merely be good human beings. We're called to his intimate divine light. That's the levitas from the gravitas of sin and in the consequences eternally and the necessity of grace to the heights of what grace, grace takes us to, which is truly divinization. Um, and that sounds super new agey. It does. And, uh, <laughs> it's way cooler than new age stuff. You know, this is a good way to evangelize Coloradans. I'll tell you this that. is the OG age. <laughs> like, oh gee. 
<laughs> yeah, um, but that's a that's a traditional Catholic ter- <clears throat> term, mm-hmm. uh, starting going all the way back to pseudo Dionysus and Saint Thomas Aquinas adding on it, and Doctor of the Church, etc., saying we're entered in the divine life. I mean, it's it's John chapters thirteen to seventeen, our Lord explaining the purpose of His passion and the cross uh-huh. through the cross that we enter into the life with the Trinity. Um, and that's what the what baptism does with sanctifying grace. It gives us sanctifying grace, which is the divine life dwelling in the soul. I'm participating in God's inner life. That isn't the same life that those who do not have the faith and do, do not have sanctifying grace cannot even comprehend. And we're given that inner glimpse. That's It's a foreshadowing of the beatific vision, seeing mm-hmm. God for all of eternity. That's what... Um, that's what our faith is about is this divinization, the, the heights of that. And that's something that the Latin mass does make clear in, in what the prayers are. If you read what the prayers are and, and the sense of silence, because when you realize something is so sacred, that's what the sacredness of that, the, the heights that we're called to, mm-hmm. um, then, then you, then you, we instinctively know as, as human beings to reverence, to get on our knees, to be silent, to be serious, to, to, Real, realize the, the importance of this in comparison to the vanity of the world that we're living in and the short life of the book of Ecclesiastes and, and other books of wisdom. They're so, they, they hit home time and time again, how, you know, we can't just rely on the goods of this earth because they all die away. They all leave. Even the good things, not just like worldliness, but even good things, they go away. God has to be number one. Right. Um, so there's a sense yeah. of like, we need to always like, reorder our desires reorder well that's why things like lent are good you know to hit the reset button like i know for myself i'm doing nineveh 90 i don't know if you've heard of these things like oh, i know exodus, exodus 90 it's like the women's exodus right yeah, yeah yeah yeah. so like it's no sweets no sweet drinks um no secular music in the car and i mean i'm saying no 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 all of these are a yes to god you know what i mean um yeah. and so it's an in a sense um and, and also no alcohol, which that one is surprisingly hard because, you know, going to social young adult events, it's, and everybody else is drinking a beer and you've got your water, um, yeah. or your, um, seltzer water. If you're trying to be incognito <laughs> about it. Um, but it's all of these things are good. Like, alcohol is good, food is good. Um, but it's in a sense, taking a step back from those things and saying, Lord, I want you to be number one, reorder those desires. Um, and then I realized, cause I did this last year too, with some of my friends that were, um, at the Augustine Institute, I realized that in doing this, um, I enjoyed those things a lot more and I didn't take them for granted. Um, so mm-hmm. In a sense, it's that's that's really what Lent is all about. Well, it's it's much more than that, but it's an opportunity for us to make God number one above anything that we might be attached to. Um, I don't know why I got on that yeah. tangent, but well, yeah, and yeah, I guess. And so to to come back to your question about the millennials and and why they would be Latin coming mask. to this, I think um, ultimately it's a culmination of all of that that they see it's something that is. It's just like, I want the real deal. And this is like serious. This is ancient. This is, it's not sugarcoating stuff. Mm-hmm. It's um, challenging me. It's elevating. It's like, it, it's like taking me out of this world for at least a moment of my week out of the modern monotony of technology and, you know, automation and control. 
feeling mm-hmm. like we're in control of everything because we're not, we could die in a car crash today, you know? That's true. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's coming into this reality that they weren't, we weren't given. Our parents didn't, they, they, they rejected tradition. Whereas we millennials or we millennials, I guess I'll <laughs> that up, um, weren't, we, we didn't really reject it. It was just sort of not presented to us. It wasn't. We were, were there's a lot of, yeah, so there's a lot of just curiosity. Like, oh, wow. Okay. Well, this might be the, this might be the real deal. Like, I don't have any, I'm not turned off by it. You know, whereas the generation before, they were, they, they were kind of told, oh, all that stuff is, you know, it's anachronistic and, you know, uh, misogynistic. Well, and, a lot of it has to do with the false interpretation of Vatican II. <laughs> Well, 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 there's, there's a lot of, um, well, there's, there's a lot of, um, there's the impression that a lot of people had that like pre Vatican II was just like horrible. Yes. Um, and, and like everything was just, you know, really bad and no one was engaged. But if you look at the statistics, I mean, statistics should show things were, you know, statistically much worse after than before. And there's a lot of, a lot of things that go into that. Um, sure. yeah. but you know, it's, it's still, like we we cannot condemn our tradition and that's what that's what generations prior to the millennials did is they said no we want to rebel against that a lot of the quite frankly the baby boomers were the ones that blame it on the boomers yeah well i kind of (laughs) do um that they just you know and to this day they still you know will push the an agenda of resentment toward the the sacredness of our traditions and it's like that's just why why be catholic you don't believe this it's like don't be catholic then sure um that that's what it that's the that's part of the deal you know um so anyway i think that's why millennials is like look this is this is something out of this world that goes beyond my daily experience Mm -hmm. and you know that's why people are searching for mysticism so i think that's another good thing to point to like we catholics have the deepest mysticism like the buddhist stuff they lead to basically a self-frustrated um, white knuckling. That's what it leads to. That doesn't lead to any fru- fruition. At least in nothingness. That's their goal. We I haven't Catholics- really. I've done a little bit of research on Buddhism, but like whenever I was reading about it, none of it made sense to me. So I really didn't understand any of it. Yeah. Well, I mean, because yeah, their doctrine it's it's basically all the ascetic element that the Catholics have, minus the mystical element, which is the whole purpose of the ascetical element. What is, what's meant by that is that the ascetical, what asceticism is, is the detachment. It's the hard work. It's the fasting and penance and that kind of stuff. But that, that's all oriented toward the mystical life, which is that union with God, where God is acting in the soul. He's giving us his life. Where his life is growing within us. We're able to glimpse into that life um, where he's working in us and and especially in prayer, we can contemplate his beauty and his goodness and his delight, um, even in an obscure manner in this life. That's, that's what we have as Catholics, and that's what we can present to people. Unfortunately, that's just not how it's, you know, most Catholics have no idea about that today. So that's part of our mission is to win interior apostles, people who are just deeply devoted to that interior life. Because, you know, that's, that's, and that's what's led me to the Latin Mass, all those other things. First and foremost, it's that that reality because it's in the souls where god is glorified and that's what's going to ultimately transform the church Mm -hmm. Um, because it's true there was a latin mass in the 50s and things weren't like great then either you know Mm -hmm. um there were there were a lot of problems then too 
So my goal isn't just like, hey, let's just go back then. Like, do we want to become saints? And we want yeah. the real deal in all the elements when it comes to liturgy, when it comes to interior life and everything. And the impetus, the inner impulse that leads to that, what, what brings all of that to fruition is individual souls who are in t- have deep interior lives. It's saints that will convert the church. Yeah. Um, and in a sense, like, there's already enough, like, spiritual poverty in the world as far as, like, Mother Teresa mentions, uh, has mentioned in the past that, you know, there's people in the United States that are more impoverished because um, we, in a sense, are, like, so distant from God and are caught up in the culture, which can't ultimately satisfy us. Um, and we don't need any of that in our church. We want, like you said, we want the real deal. We want the best. Um, so I think you explained that really well. Um, and and if I could add one thing to that, I would say it's, this is what leads to the mission. You know, it's that there are souls on the line, like there's heaven and there's hell. Mm-hmm. And like St. Francis Xavier said to St. Saint, Saint Ignatius in a letter, I wish I could run around the streets of Paris shouting like a madman to all the academics who have more, who have more learning than love for souls there are souls because he was, he was in the Indies and he saw these pagans and these children that weren't baptized. And he said, all of these pagans and children are not being baptized and falling into hell. Thanks to you. Because if we don't have our priorities straight, if we don't understand the gravity that we need to be baptized, Mm -hmm. we need to have the supernatural life in us in order to enter into the eternal life of heaven. We need the seed of eternal life in order to enter into the fruition of the internal of the eternal life. So I, that's the impulse for the the whole missionary spirit is like souls are on the line. And, um, and that's what you guys are doing, right? You're going to the bulk of your mission. Um, do you go to college campuses and like, how, how are you evangelizing people? Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so the, like I said at the beginning, the goal is to win interior apostles, to form mm-hmm. and win interior apostles who will in turn do the same thing. And so is it like a focus model type thing or? Well, it's, it's, it's different uh, in the emphasis on formation. Um, our, our goal is, is the intrinsic formation of one individual and seeing how that will in turn lead to leaders who will win others who will become saints and influence the church from a grassroots level, from the bottom up, um, mm-hmm. through holiness. Like that's, that's our, our ultimate goal. Mm-hmm. And so the way we do that is through, um, the essence of it is living a daily life of mental prayer and in how you do that is through a rule of life. So first mental prayer and then a rule of life. Mental prayer is Saint, as St. Teresa of Avila says, it's, it's nothing else than an intimate sharing a heart to heart conversation with a with a friend we know who loves us, which mm-hmm. is Christ. She emphasizes so much that Jesus Christ is dwelling in our soul. If we're in the state of grace, Christ is right there. We don't have to shout. He's right there. So it's, it's really simple, you know, mental, I mean, we use a mental interior prayer, meditation, really le- it leads to a co- spontaneous converse with the Lord in our soul. Um, that's different than going to, you know, doing a quote unquote holy hour that some people do and they read the whole time and journal the whole time. That's not mental prayer. Okay. Um, so or can you explain the difference. Yeah, sure. So um, basically that, that stuff is like, those are good things, but they're not, um, they're, they're not, they're keeping the soul on its exterior. 
Whereas St. Teresa, she describes the soul as like a castle. Have you heard of that? Well, I'm in the middle of reading that book with some friends. Uh, We're on the sixth dwelling place. It's the interior castle. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I find that the deeper we go, the more confusing it is, but it's really good. And I, I gel well with her writing style because she's like all over the place and that's kind oh, of how my it. brain works. So yeah, I love it. <laughs> yeah. The way she wrote that was she basically, she was founding convents. She was the mother superior yeah. uh, and she's reliving religious life, praying two hours a day, doing the hours, all that stuff. Yeah. Traveling and uh, also writing so she would whenever she had time she'd just come and write just write down what was on her mind basically mm-hmm. um truly you know inspired so um anyway she describes yeah the, the soul is like a castle there's seven mansions in the castle and you go from one to the next and then the seventh mansion is where god dwells in the innermost depths of the soul that's the life of grace i was talking about yeah and so um we want to enter deeper and deeper into that. And it takes a lot of work and a lot of self-renunciation for God to come into the soul and dwell and, and um, transform the soul. It's the height of it is called the transforming union, mm-hmm. uh, spiritual marriage. But she, she says, you know, what was I going to say? Oh, how do we get on this? The, uh, oh, you want to, I asked you what the difference is between sitting in holy hour and journaling versus mental prayer. Like, right. What? how do you know you're doing mental prayer basically uh that you are having an interior spontaneous conversation with christ in your soul so this doesn't have to be in an adoration chapel it can be anywhere it could be in the car absolutely okay absolutely yep i mean i i do most of mine in my room now i mean i recommend going to the tabernacle uh those who aren't in the state of grace definitely go to a tabernacle or those Mm -hmm. who are um not catholic go to a tabernacle Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, if we have, if we, we're, we're in a state of grace and Christ is in our soul, so we can speak and converse with them. We should be reverent. It's critical to be reverent. That's she, foundation of everything is self-knowledge for St. Teresa of Ava, recognizing who are we? And Humility. Yeah. Who, God is God. I am not. That's the foundation of everything. Um, and so you, she always recommends coming to prayer with that. And one recommendation would be an examination of conscience. What are your faults? And you realize you've sinned. And so we, it, it's just putting us in the proper light with God that mm-hmm. we, that God deserves to be reverenced before me. And then I can enter into friendship with him, but I have to have that fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of all wisdom. Mm-hmm. Um, the fear of the Lord, recognizing that I am contingent on him. He's like, he's got his hand out on his, you know, and I'm like this tiny little bug on his palm and I could be squashed anytime, but I'm not, you right. know, in fact, he's a loving father who's guiding me, but he doesn't have like it's because of his graciousness and i have to recognize that in order to really enter into that truth with him um and so anyway having that proper disposition that's why like you know so you just think, go ahead. is this different than um ignatius prayer which is more imaginative ignatius prayer would be a form of mental prayer okay like saint Teresa's def- definition of mental prayer is quite broad like I said, it's that spontaneous conversation with Christ in our soul. Mm-hmm. So um, what is yeah. distinguished from vocal prayer and that vocal prayer is using particular words um, that we have either memorized or we're reading off of or whatever, whereas we're doing it interiorly. Now, what, for example, the rosary should turn into a form of mental prayer, but in order really to learn what mental prayer is, we have to just do that exercise on its own. 
separate it from exterior words to learn that interior conversation. Now, Ignatian meditation should lead to mental prayer in that, you know, it's a meditation that leads to that spontaneous conversation. Mm. You're using your imagination to come into contact with Christ and then you converse with him. You're there with him and you share and you converse doesn't necessarily mean, you know, you have to have a lot of interior words that you're giving to him or that you're receiving a ton of inspirations. It could just be a sharing of affections, just kind of being with them. Um, but um, I would say that it's not, some people think that it's the imaginative part that is the prayer and it's not. Mm-hmm. St. Teresa did not have a good imagination. I myself don't have a good imagination. And she says that those who don't have a good imagination actually can advance more quickly, though it's more difficult because they don't have it as a crutch to get to what's called contemplation, which is more of just a gaze at Christ in our soul that doesn't use our sensual imagination. It's with our more of our our intellect and will, which are spiritual faculties of the soul that go beyond our imagination. So she says that we can advance more quickly. Now, everyone's goal is to get to that point, but it's if you can use your imagination, then do it. It's a good thing. It can help. Um, but it just depends if, if it's helpful or not. Whatever helps get you to the point of that spontaneous conversation, spontaneous sharing of affections and being with Christ in our soul, mm. then that, that's what St. Teresa would recommend doing. But it should be with that end in mind, whereas something like journaling and um, reading that isn't directed purely to that end is a separate spiritual act, which is a good thing, but there, there's something even more essential which but, is mental okay prayer. so is not journaling the same thing in a way because you're still communicating with our lord just you're just writing down what you're saying to him right but one of the key elements of the metaphor is that it's detached from our exterior, exterior world so to speak that it's gotcha. just christ okay. just your contact of your soul with christ and so when we're thinking about, you know, removing our pencil and all that stuff. It's not, um, it's not as much that intimate receptivity with Christ in the spiritual realm. It's because we're, it's hard to describe because we're not as detached from our sensual faculties when we're so engaged with, I mean, even in that little way with the extra world, it's not a bad thing, but it, it doesn't allow for an entrance deeper into the castle beyond just the more of the external realm. Yeah, and it seems to me, and I, the last person that I had, um, Kevin Peck, two Kevins in two weeks. So, hey, um, he was talking about Ignatian spirituality um, and imaginative prayer and talking about how he needed a spiritual director to affirm or confirm certain things. Um, would you advise a spiritual director with well making sure I mean, that you're on the right track? Just because I feel like sometimes you could feel like you're receiving things in prayer and like you would want to discern the spirit of that. Like, is this from God or, you know, I, and I know that this is so multifaceted and can yeah, go in yeah. a lot of directions. Cause yeah, we're talking about mental prayer and like imaginative prayer and um, discerning whether or not that's the Lord talking to you. Um, yeah. yeah. What do you think about all that? I mean, I, there's a lot I could say, like you said, it's multifaceted. One, yeah. There's a few things. First, I would say that someone who's not praying at least 45 minutes of mental, uh, not of just prayer a day, including uh-huh. say, let's say at least 20 or 30 minutes of mental prayer consistently. 
I would say it's not necessary to have a spiritual director because okay. really the best advice for someone in those cases, as far as their spiritual life is just to develop the habits. First of all, mm-hmm. if you like a lot, I've talked to a number of our chaplains where it's like, they're, they're basically said, look, there's people who come to us, you know, who have been in focus, who have been in, you know, ministries who have been in, you know, uh, that they're, they're, they're in leadership positions and parishes and they're not, they, they're coming to me for direction and they talk and talk and talk. And then I ask them if they're praying and they're basically, they're not praying. They're not doing any mental prayer. And so they're like, well, I mean, I, I don't need to counsel you in anything. I just need to tell you, go pray, go do mental prayer and come back yeah. to me once that's like a really established habit. So that's where we came in to say, look, we want to get people to the point where it's like, you have this as an ingrained habit and you have a spiritual life to direct because these right. people who don't, aren't praying, they don't have a spiritual life to direct. Um, there's so much, there were, you know, when you first begin in prayer, you're in the, the beginning castles. And so you're not going to be having, you know, mystical visions of God telling you and giving you these like great truths or whatever. Like that's not going to happen. Unless um, you're Kevin. Unless what? Unless you're Kevin. <laughs> I'm uh, joking. I no, I don't have, I don't have the, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, it, it shouldn't, and that's not the goal. The goal isn't, this isn't um, visions. That's the a misconception of mysticism. Mysticism is that interior, you know, gift of God of his in- intimate life. It's not extraordinary phenomena where we see things and hear things and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, coming back to what he was saying. Yeah. I think if you, if you feel like you're having locutions and stuff like that, which is like, God actually making sounds, then it'd be good to run that by a confessor. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, have, I would say, re- I would recommend to everyone a regular confessor. So when you go to confession consistently, um, as far as sitting down an hour, you know, once a month to get spiritual direction, I mean, priests are busy. So like you want to make, you don't want to just set it up if, you know, you're not, you don't already have. If you're your, not putting the work in, if you're not, if you're not there yet. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, and I, and so I would say to most people, like, look, just ignore, if you think like, you know, you received some amazing revelation, ignore it, um, in the beginning, at least, unless if you've been doing this for a while, if you've been doing meds for every day for a while, then, um, okay, it's then, then I would say that you should get a spiritual director. Mm-hmm. But if you haven't, uh, you know, it could just, there's a lot of different fast, uh, factors that go into it. You know, you could have an over, overactive imagination, it could be from God. It could be from demons. It could just be, you know, you ate some hole in the wall Asian food that <laughs> just really, you know, threw you off. Like who knows what it is? Um, you know, just like, yeah, I heard a priest say is a, you heard call, a bunch of college students who thought that they're going through the dark night of the soul. Oh my and he's gosh. like, you are not going to the dark night of the soul. You're not going through the dark night of the senses, which they don't even know there's a distinction. Sure. Uh, that's the first conversion, which most Catholics, the great majority of Catholics do not even go through the dark night of the senses. Mm. Um, but they're not even doing that. They just ate too many Twinkies and feel bad. Uh, <laughs> so the, the, there's, no, there's no rocket science to this. You know, you just ate too many, you know, Twinkies. So um, anyway, oh, well. coming back to it. Yeah. Getting a spirit director once you have it established is good, but you need to have a rule of life. That's the thing we help people really develop, which is certain okay. basic spiritual resolutions. And, and the ones we think are most essential is mental prayer, spiritual reading, and the rosary. 
Ooh, um, I like that. Yeah. I like the rosary. Um, I started praying the rosary, oh gosh, uh, in 2009, and I've been doing it ever since. And it's right. one prayer that I, I keep. Um, and it's also one prayer that is still difficult. <laughs> you right. Know, to like focus, uh, it's easy to get distracted. Yeah, no, I totally know what you mean. Okay, um, so mental prayer. Uh, rosary and spiritual reading. Okay. So we've kind of boiled down those as the three essential acts, uh, resolutions that we want people to develop because um, from that comes so much. You know, a lot of the ascetical practices like you were talking about, don't listen to music or avoid worldly occasions or learn detachment in this way fast. That's all like becomes more and more evident when you go to mental prayer, you do it for a little bit. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes you receive a number of consolations and then, you know, and then after a while it becomes dry. And then that's when a lot of people give up. It's like they, you know, you weren't, if you do that, then you weren't doing it for the right reason. You have to go with the mindset to carry your cross and persevere to love God and to love him with your will and be purified. Um, but so a lot of the other practices come from that. But if you don't have mental prayer and you don't have spiritual reading in the rosary and you're doing a lot of the other things, a lot of times they're not going to be very meritorious, if not, not at all meritorious for your salvation, for glory and for souls. Uh, it could be more just a self-conquest kind of thing, or it could be a bunch of uh, ministry work that is not really the essence of what the church is all about, which is the soul of the apostle, that Christ, it's the vital living reality of Jesus in my soul that has to emanate to others. That's mm -hmm. the reality. So I have to have that deep intimacy with him. So spiritual reading is sort of the safeguard for that uh -huh. because it gives us, uh, it, it, you know, it acts as like a socializing a force on us. What's that? It's like a guide map. Yeah, yeah. It, tell, it gives us axioms by which we can live, principles that we can follow, examples of saints, ideals. So, I'd, and I'd recommend, you know, there's a lot of books written by modern Catholics today. I'd say don't read, for your spiritual reading, don't read those. Read for your spiritual reading books written by people whose first name starts with S-T. You sound like Father Riley at the Augustine Institute. <laughs> that's not go. a bad thing. Uh, it's like always uh, all about going to the original text. Yeah. Read the books written by the saints or about the saints. That's your go-to. Mm -hmm. um, Do you have any recommendations? And also, I know for myself, when I first started in the spiritual life, I started with foundations. And my priest friend was like, Dude, you should have started with something like more simple. By Teresa of Avila? Yeah. Oh, wow. I've, I've, I'm, I don't know if I've ever talked to anyone who actually even knew what that was. That's great. Yeah, I, I mean, had like a whole eight-day retreat on it. Um, oh, wow. And I was completely overwhelmed. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. So for our listeners who are just kidding, <laughs> do you have any recommendations for yeah. light reading that, that will ease them into um, where they need to go? Yeah, the best, so I'd make a distinction between spiritual reading and meditative reading. So meditative reading would be the, the reading, the, the text that you'd have, in, that you could have in front of you during mental prayer, which it could be the gospel or an epistle of St. Paul, um, something that you can read slowly and God can speak to you through. And, and the pure, like we said, the pure end of mental prayer is just that spontaneous conversation. So if you read five words, and then all of a sudden you're in a spontaneous conversation with our Lord for 25 minutes and your 30 minutes of mental prayer is now up. Then 
you don't have to read anymore because the whole goal, you're not trying to do anything there other than just be with our Lord. So that's, that's the value. Now in spiritual reading, on the other hand, you do want to work through it, but you're, so you're not reading purely for that intent just to be lifted up in, in devotion and prayer. It should be something that really fuels you, including your intellect and your understanding. But it's also not like a study where you're studying it like a textbook, just trying to really, you know, reason through everything and try to just memorize it all. It's kind of an in-between of those two. Something that makes you reflective, but you want to keep reading. It's not, you're not going to just like um, go into ecstasy or whatever. I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, but so a few recommendations, I'd say for spiritual reading. Yeah. Cause uh, also I was reading John of the Cross at the Augustine Institute and there were parts of that, that I was like, I don't know if I can. Don't start with him. Yeah. This, this is too hard. <laughs> and too Don't intense. start with him. No. Yeah. Um, read, yeah, I would say The Introduction to Devout Life by St. Francis of Sales is a fantastic book to start with because it's challenging, but it's also, he's writing to a laywoman and it is really the, the book of lay spirituality par excellence. Um, and there's correct like translations to get of that, right? Or uh, some that are better than others. Yeah. I'm sure I, I wouldn't be the best go to to give you advice on that but i'm sure there are yeah. yeah 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 um let's see another good book um the life of saint therese of Lisieux, written by herself is a good book mm-hmm. the way by saint jose maria scriva especially for men mm-hmm. just has a bunch of like refrigerator quote kind of stuff <laughs> um motivational quotes yeah i mean it's 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 not like cheesy though it's sure it's sure substantial yeah but yeah it's kind of yeah um anything else for meditative prayer the 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 bible and uh the imitation of christ are go-tos mm-hmm. um Thomas yep yep and then the autobiography of saint Teresa of avila is really good too okay. um yeah, those are the those are the top books that I would recommend. Cool. Um, I mean, I think part of it is recognizing, and it may be a life of the saint, life of some saint. There's tons of them. I'd recommend getting it from canned books. Those uh-huh. are really reliable. Lives of the Saints, whereas some modern ones kind of water things down or whatever. If you get yeah. it from publishing canned books um, or a really good publishing company, you'll get really solid uh, Lives of the Saints. So, um, yeah, those are some recommendations for spiritual reading. Awesome. Um, and one last thing before we go, this has been such a really good conversation and I planned out like the direction I wanted this to go, but it hasn't gone in that direction, but this has been better than <laughs> sure. what I planned. Um, so yeah, it's been really good. Um, as far as like mental prayer, um, I know that it's hard for us to turn off the distractions. So what would you say to somebody who's just starting out? Like, 10 minutes a day, 20 minutes a day. Like, um, have they been doing the daily rosary? Uh, yes. Okay. If, if I would say first, if someone isn't already doing the daily rosary, get that down, do that for 40 days in a row. If you've done that for 40 days, then take on, um, 20 minutes of mental prayer and 10 minutes of spiritual reading a day. That's my recommendation. Okay. And also watch out cause our lady, <laughs> We'll flip your life around if you're not careful. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And in, you have to be generous. That's so important in the beginning. Generous and persevering. Awesome. 
Sounds yeah. good. Well, where can our listeners go to find out more about your ministry um, and get involved and things like that? Yeah. So our, our ministry is primarily um, about living a rule of life. And so we've now made it possible with an app that people can look us up in the app store. This, just look up Soka Rule, S-O-C-A space Rule. And that's in the app store in the Google Play Store. And basically that's a habit tracker for your rule of life. Daily mental prayer, spiritual reading, rosary. You can add other resolutions if you're doing Exodus 90 or something like that. And you check off, did you do each of the resolutions every day? And you can add a companion who can see your resolutions. And then you... and if you want to become a member in Soka, then you would um, have a weekly check-in with them on the phone and a monthly gathering with your local group, Soka group. Like a and, um, whatever, wherever you live. Well, yeah, right now, I mean, we're, we're still new, so we're trying to get chapters started. So we are looking for individuals who want to start a chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And, and the, the essence of that is living a rule of life and winning others to live that rule of life, inviting them to come see what it's like. And yeah, so um, that's what we do. As far as on the ground here in Denver, Ben and I, um, we, we work at the Auraria campus and Denver as a whole um, with particularly young adults, but we also are, we're starting a couples chapter up in Fort Collins and in Dallas and a lot of other places, you know, we're just getting people of all ages and, and different genders and everything. Um, um, and, and so, you know, everyone can be involved in a different way. Um, if they want to learn more, they can go to our website, S-O-C-A-P-O-S-T-O-L-A-T-E.org, SOCAPOSPLIT.org. Uh, and you could sign up for our weekly MailChimp email to just find out things. Uh, right now, there's an automatic welcome email set up where people would get um, three talks that I gave at a retreat at a parish in Dallas and on developing the interior life, as well as a packet that goes in much more depth on all these things I've been talking about with the rule of life. Um, we also have a podcast in the iTunes store and, or an iTunes podcast and SoundCloud uh-huh. which is called souls of the Christian apostolate and on YouTube is souls of the Christian Pod- apostolate YouTube. Um, and then I am on Facebook and uh, actually starting like either today or tomorrow, I'll be on Instagram and Twitter and sharing more of our stories and travels and all that. Yeah. Um, you've got to get on Insta. So. That's where everyone lives apparently. Oh, Insta. Oh yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> exactly how I thought of it. <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, yeah. And I, I would encourage everyone to live the rule. I mean, if you do tracking, you're 95% more likely to establish a habit if you have a specific goal, which the tracking help, which just the tracking establishes, and if you have accountability, 95% more likely. If you really believe in the interior life, you really believe the one thing necessary is our Lord in your soul and cultivating that. That's the whole purpose in life is for that to grow. Mm-hmm. Then, then do everything that it takes to establish the habit and then increase it. Make Put in habits to live the presence of God. How can you concretely practice that throughout your day? If you want to do more than 30, 20 minutes, that's probably 30, an hour, you know, two rosaries a day, which is really only two thirds of the full rosary. Right. Um, You know, like there's so much more we could do. And and if you have that tracking, then it helps you see your progress. And, and we have formation stages and all that. So I'd recommend, you know, get in contact with me and set up a chapter or come be a missionary where we want, we're looking to hire missionaries. Are Um, you? Okay. 
yeah, I was just in focus or I was in focus before this. And so it's somewhat of the same model as far as missionaries working on college campus here in Denver, the Auraria campus is the largest campus in Colorado, mm-hmm. 50,000 students about. And uh, so it's a war zone for spiritual, for the spiritual life and saving is souls. Is it just so, for guys or is it guys and girls? Uh, both. Okay. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, is, so um, yeah. you guys are, do you guys support Rays and all that fun stuff? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we win others to be interior apostles. And part of that, we ask people to support us in the way they can, uh, obviously with prayer and penance um, as the most important thing. And then also if they can financially be sacrificial in that way. Awesome. Very good. Well, now people know where to find you guys. So uh, maybe we could start something out here in St. Louis or maybe somebody listening feels called to start. So thank you for coming yeah. on. It's been a really- and I know some people out there. Yes. Check yeah. it out. <laughs> <laughs> Do it. Otherwise, Kevin's going to come here and find you. Maybe. Yeah, well, I don't know. That sounds a little creepy. but <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. All right. Yeah, it was great being on here. Thanks. You're really good at asking questions, Jacinta. <laughs> <laughs> I do my best. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Kevin. Yep. Thanks. God bless. You too. All right. Thank you guys for listening to the Catholics podcast, a Catholic podcast for millennials by millennials. That was Kevin Rorty. And um, it was such a gift to have him on and to hear about mental prayer and tips for cultivating that. So I do hope that you guys check out his resources available at um, socapostolate.org. That's S-O-C- a-P-O-S-T-O-L-A-T-E dot org. There you can um, figure out how to download the app. You can go to their resources tab and um, download their podcast and listen about how to foster your interior life. Um, That's all we have today for you guys. Um, I do hope that you go to iTunes or Spotify or all the other places that we are um, broadcasting out of and leave me a nice rating because I've had so many great um, people on the podcast, so many of my friends who are doing awesome things. So I do hope that you leave us a nice rating by leaving a rating. This allows our podcast to reach more listeners with these life-saving, um, interviews. So thank you very much. Hope you do that. And until next time, I will see you later. Well, I'll talk to you later. (laughs) All right. Bye.